0: Holy Spirit help us to apply those words from scripture to our life. Help us to know how we can walk closer with you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. <clears throat> well, good to see all of you here. Maybe you're just a little sleepier than normal, but good for you. You get brownie points for making it. I want to welcome those of you who are also watching on the podcast. When I was 8 years old, the thing I wanted more than anything else was a chemistry set because my best friend had one and could do all kinds of stuff with it. He, he made a really cool volcano once. He made some stinky stuff that he put in his sister's room. I thought that was awesome. And all the other kids wanted to go to his house after school because he had the chemistry set, and I didn't. So I figured if I got a chemistry set, then everyone would like me instead of him, which is why you have friends, for the joy of one-upping them, right? So I got one, but within weeks, I got bored with it. And then... To make matters worse, that summer my friend got a pool in his backyard, totally trumped my chemistry set. And I was so jealous of him for that, which is what we're going to talk about today. We're doing a sermon series on King David. And last week I told you that David's victory over Goliath makes the next 20 years of his life miserable. And today we find out why. Because even though David has been chosen as Israel's next king, He isn't yet king, and the current king, Saul, gets really jealous of David's success. In fact, as David's returning home from killing Goliath, fresh off of his victory, the women of the towns are dancing and they're singing, and their song was, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. You can kind of imagine Saul didn't like that. It'd be sort of like if after an associate pastor preached here one week with The next week, y'all came in here singing, Dudley has preached some okay sermons, but Terry preaches life-changing, amazing sermons. I mean, it may be true, but nobody wants to hear it, right? Not me, anyway. A couple years ago, I was gone for almost a month on a short-term mission trip. When I got back, I discovered that both attendance and giving had gone way up while I was gone. One of the elders pointed to it and said, See, we don't need you anymore. It was very affirming. Now, another interpretation of this song... Could have been, we've got a great team with these two guys, David and Saul. But that is not how Saul sees it. Instead, he gets mad and he says, they've credited David with tens of thousands, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Everyone is talking about David. You can just hear Saul saying to himself, David, 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 David. You know, sort of like Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Only half of you got that cultural reference. (laughs) The Brady Bunch. See, that's the problem with our education system. We're not teaching the classics. Now, jealousy is kind of an interesting emotion. It's envy on steroids. Envy is when we want something someone has. I want his job. I want that house, her car, whatever it is. Jealousy adds to that two things. Resentment, that the other person has it. And the second thing is fear. That because someone else has something, I might lose something. Another word for it might be feeling threatened. Now, there are times when this makes sense, right? Our spouse cheats on us, we're going to feel Jealous, that's a response when something or someone you love is threatened, you want to fight for it. That's similar to what the Bible means when it says that God is a jealous God. He loves us so much that he will fight for us. That's not the kind of jealousy I want to talk about today. I'm talking about the more everyday kind of jealousy that we feel with friends or with siblings or coworkers or neighbors. And it's interesting, this is an emotion that we will not often admit to feeling. Right? It's very rare that you'll hear, I and mean, we will own up to all kinds of stuff: anger, even lust, but r- very rarely will you hear someone say, "I'm feeling threatened by that other person," or "I'm jealous of that other person." Usually we just find ways to kind of run them down. But I will bet that before this week is out, most of us will feel some kind of jealousy, even if it's just kind of a momentary blip. Maybe it's a friend, and they have something that you want, a new job or a new house or whatever. Or their spouse just seems perfect and your spouse is, well, your spouse. Or maybe if you're a student, it's someone with better grades or more athletic skill than what you've got. Or maybe it's at work in your office. Maybe it's that like, young, new person on staff and they're just impressing the boss, just knocking it out of the park and you know that they cost less than you and so you feel threatened. When I first came here, there was a 13-year-old in our church who said that his career goal in life was to be senior pastor of this church. Well, now he's graduated from college and he works here as one of our interns. And I asked him not too long ago, you still want to be senior pastor here? And he said, yep, I sure do. Okay, when he was 13, it was charming. Now he's a threat. (laughs) Or maybe for you it's the opposite. Maybe you're younger and you have all these great ideas, but there's someone older than you that's kind of blocking you and not letting you soar. High school reunions. Cesspools of jealousy, right? Who, 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 who got the nicer car? Who married up? And who was voted best looking who has since become older and fatter? We love that one, especially. And jealousy is a very destructive emotion. For starters, it wrecks us. Look at poor King Saul. right? He's just wrecked. The text says, an evil spirit from God came on Saul while David was playing the lyre. Saul had a spear and hurled it saying, I'll pin David to the wall. Clearly, Saul is upset. Now, some of you may wonder, why does it say that the evil spirit came from God? Well, that's kind of how they phrased things back then. The Israelites thought that everything was ultimately under God's control, and whether he actually sends it or just allows it, we might say that God let it happen. Um, They would say it differently. But on a deeper level, God really is, in a way, kind of the source of Saul's jealousy because it's God who is blessing David and Saul's reaction to God's blessing of David is an evil reaction. In fact, I think a lot of times when we are feeling threatened or when we are feeling jealous of someone, really what we're mad at is God. God, why did you give that person the money or the job or the looks or whatever when I am so much deserving? And you can kind of see that in Saul's thinking. They have credited David with tens of thousands, but me with only thousands. And that phrase, but me. Jealousy always shouts, but me. What about me? And the real issue here is Saul feels threatened, feels insecure because of David's success. In fact, it says three times in this one chapter that Saul was afraid of David. Jealousy wrecks us. Second thing it wrecks is our relationships in lots of different ways. For instance, we try to control people. That's what Saul does. The next thing Saul does, we didn't read it, but the next thing Saul does, he tries to get David to marry one of his daughters. And David says, I'm not worthy to be the king's son-in-law. Well, the reason Saul's doing that is not because he's nice. He's not, he wants to put David in his family so he can control him more. He pretends it's because he's nice, but it's really for control. And that's the other, that's the other way. Jealousy can wreck our relationships. It turns us into big old phonies. You know, say there's a friend and they're going on and on and on about all the good things that are going on in their life, right? And you feel kind of jealous, but you can't say that, of course. So instead you say things like, well, praise the Lord. Right? Or the very ambiguous, how nice for you. Right? That sort of thing. Or we find, we find fault with the other person, reasons to dislike them. Or we try to undermine the other person. Saul's case, he tries to kill David. David says, I'm not worthy to marry the king's daughter. So Saul says, okay, I'll give you a job that will make you worthy, worthy. So Saul says, tell David the king wants no other price for the bride than 100 Philistine foreskins to take revenge on his enemies. That's just gross. <laughs> you, you thought scalps was weird. Saul's plan was to have David fall by the hands of the Philistines. In other words, there's only one way to get those foreskins, right? You've got to kill the owner. They don't just give them up willingly, right? (laughs) So, golly, that was not in the notes, and it went on the podcast. That's awesome. And Saul hopes that David gets killed in this battle, right? Which, by the way, is a similar technique that David uses later to cover over his his adultery with Bathsheba. He learns it from Saul. Jealousy causes us to undermine people. I've said before that When I was at Stanford, sometimes if folks knew that you were working on a certain project, they'd go to the library and check out all the books they could find on that one topic just so that you couldn't get them, to undermine you. But often those efforts to undermine or control other people, they often just backfire on us. That's what it does for Saul. It says David went out and killed 200 Philistines. Saul only wanted 100, so David's overachieving. And he brought back their foreskins. They counted out the full number of, 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 uh, to, the, to the king so that David might become the, the king's son-in-law. I always think that's weird. They counted them, right? Like one potato, two potato, three potato. All of which just makes David seem more heroic for winning all these battles. Saul's jealousy wrecks him, wrecks his relationships, and it backfires. So then how do we get out of it? How do we break out of feeling threatened? How do we break out of feeling jealous? Because it doesn't work just to say I will not feel threatened by that person. I will not feel jealous. It doesn't work. So we need something else. Well, first, pray. Obviously, pray. Ask the Holy Spirit to change our hearts. But then there's some other things we can do. For instance, switch the scorecard. Here's what I mean by that. Saul's problem is his whole identity is wrapped up in his success as king. That's his whole identity. So when David succeeds, of course Saul is going to feel threatened. His whole identity is in his work. What gives you your sense of meaning and worth and value? If it's work or looks or success or money, we are easy prey for jealousy because someone's always going to have more of those things than we do and we're going to feel a little threatened by that if that's where our identity is. In fact, if you want to know what gives you your sense of worth, follow your jealousy. Where do you feel threatened? That's your sense of worth. A guy from our church told me that a coworker of his invented a new word, viewbicle. A vubicle is a cube with a view, which if you have a viewbicle, presumably you're better than someone just a regular cube dweller, right? But if your identity is wrapped up in getting the corner viewbicle, well, first off, get a life, right? But then second, you're easy prey for jealousy because what happens if the guy next to you, who is of course less deserving, gets the viewbicle instead of you? we got to switch where we're getting our sense of worth. The way we do that is a couple things. we got to connect with Jesus and experience his love for us so that we take our identity from being his sons, being his daughters, not from our work or our looks or our money or something else. A way to do that this week. One way you could do that this week, come to that prayer and worship night this Tuesday, 7 Uh, o'clock. We believe that the way we're going to be revived and that The East Side is going to be revived as if we pray for that. So we'll do that. We'll also worship with a blend of of traditional music and modern music. I always leave those things. We do them once a quarter. I always leave feeling revived. After the last one, someone said it's like a day at the spa when the effects last longer and it's free. It's a great way to experience the love of Jesus. We also need people in our lives, spouses, friends, other Christians who are going to value us for who we are, not for what we achieve switch the scorecard. Third, go on a comparison fast. You know, many of us just have this constant running comparison in our minds. They're richer. They're thinner. Their job is better. They have more money. They're better looking. I like that house better than my house, whatever it is. I don't even think we notice it most of the time. It's just this running comparison in our minds. Last week, I told you about how Uh, Last week, the woman who had cut my hair recently, uh, she kept going on and on and on about how bald I was. I told you about that last week. Well, that kind of made me feel insecure. So this week, I've noticed I was comparing relative baldness levels, right? Oh, that person over there has less hair than me. Somehow that made me feel better, right? But then, of course, the problem is, well, he has more hair than me. And why? And that's not fair. And he doesn't have a job where he has to stand in front of people and have them look at you. I mean, I need the hair more than he needs the hair. My brother, my brother has a full head of hair. How come he got the good hair gene? I mean, he works for a pharmaceutical company. He's a drug dealer, okay? I'm a pastor. I should have the hair. Just these little running thoughts. But fortunately, you know, you all are so super supportive and Last week after I shared so vulnerably about my pain, one of you sent me this picture that you took in Bartels just so <laughs> that I would know where I can get it. So thoughtful. <laughs> you know, at those prices, though, I, just, I looked at those prices, I'm like, uh-uh, I'm going bald, man. <laughs> we constantly compare. So how about do this? Just between now and Easter, purge your vocabulary of thoughts, purge your vocabulary, purge your thoughts, of words that end in ER, thinner, richer, prettier, important hairier, pray, switch our scorecard, comparison fast, next, pray for and celebrate others, because when we do this, it actually lifts our mood and just creates a better atmosphere. The pastor I worked for in California was just great at this. One of the things we did there was we would keep track of who, what, which preachers sold more sermon tapes. I have no idea why we did it. You know, it was weird. But I remember many times the senior pastor would come to our all staff meeting and he'd say, you know what? Scott's sermon tapes are outselling mine. Isn't that great? And he meant it because he viewed that as a win for the church, not as a referendum on him. And the other pastors on staff, they were equally as great. When I started there, I was, I was supposed to be just there for a year as an interim college director while they found someone else. I was never supposed to preach, but then one week, one of the pastors who was supposed to preach couldn't, so they, they put me in at the last minute. It was, it was like the last weekend in August when only the really faithful show up anyway, so they figured I couldn't do too much harm. But after that, I preached a lot. I preached all the time. I preached way more than pastors who had been in that church For years and years. I wasn't even ordained at first. But all the other pastors, they were great. They said, look, who does what in God's kingdom is about gifts and call, not position or education or tenure or anything like that? And Scott, this seems like it's one of your gifts. You should preach more than we preach. And then we get to do things the senior pastor wouldn't want you to do, Scott. And I'd always say, and that's a long list. And they were affirmed for their gifts and their talents. When we celebrate each other's successes, it's just a healthier environment in sports, or in business, at work, in your office, instead of resenting others for their success, how about we do this? Say, you do your best, I'll do my best. That way we will spur each other on to do better and we'll celebrate each other's successes. So much healthier, so much less toxic. Also, pray for other people, especially that person that irritates you or you feel threatened by. Maybe they irritate you because you feel threatened by them and you can't admit that you're threatened, so you say that they're irritating. There's just something that happens when we pray for other people's success. I, I, I can't even explain it. It's a supernatural thing. We just start to want it after a while. We want them to succeed. I learned this years ago. As a college pastor, I found that I wouldn't feel threatened or feel jealous of other pastors' success if I prayed for them regularly. And I do that here all the time. You know, because occasionally someone will leave our church for another church and They'll let me know that the reason they're leaving is because they like that other pastor better, which is always helpful. Um, and of course, that's fine. Different people need different things. I get it. But if you're not careful, you can feel threatened by that or maybe even get a little bitter. You know, well, fine. If you want shallow, unbiblical preaching, go to that other pastor, heretic, right? But I don't feel that way. I don't feel that way because I pray for these other pastors regularly. Plus, these guys are my friends. We've, you know, we, we meet together to pray for the east side, pray for each other. We've gone skiing together. I mean, I am, when they thrive, I am thrilled, not threatened, because I'm praying for them. Pray. Switch the scorecard. Go on a comparison fast. Celebrate and pray for others. And finally, trust that God knows what blessings are right for you. Because just because God is blessing this other person over here doesn't mean He's also not blessing you in some kind of a different way. So look for the blessings He's giving you. You know, in this story, Saul could have been a great, uh, could have had a great life as as the best mentor father figure that David ever had. Saul's been king at this point for 20 years. David is about 17 years old at this point, right? David would have grown up admiring Saul, pretending to be Saul as a little kid. Saul could have had this great life as David's mentor, and David would have loved and admired Saul. But Saul doesn't see that blessing because it's not the one that he wants. Now, as we'll see next week, it's the opposite for Saul's son, Jonathan. If anyone had something to fear from David's success, it was Jonathan. He's heir to the throne. If David becomes king, Jonathan doesn't get that. But Jonathan celebrates David's success because he knows that God is blessing him in a different way. He gets to be David's best friend. And you might say, well, David got the better end of that deal. David got to be king. No, he didn't. Being king makes David miserable. In fact, David pretty much peaked last week against Goliath. That was the high point. It's all downhill from here. I'm serious, which I'm sure you're like, great, I can't wait for the rest of this sermon series, right? I mean, there's a few highlight moments up ahead, but mostly it's downhill, right? Jonathan gets, gets one of the greatest friendships ever recorded in history with Israel's greatest king. They get to have adventures together, which for Jonathan and his makeup probably was way better than if Jonathan became king. Many of you have seen the movie Amadeus about Mozart and another composer named Salieri. And Salieri is incensed that God gave Mozart all that talent. But Salieri doesn't understand that God had blessed him as well. That in all of Europe, Salieri was the only one to recognize and appreciate Mozart's genius in his day. See, a good definition of jealousy is when we resent God's goodness in other people's lives while ignoring it in our own. Resenting God's goodness in other people's lives while ignoring God's goodness in our own life. So often the logic of jealousy is that if someone else is popular, I must not be. If someone else thrives, then I can't. If someone else succeeds, then I won't. Jealousy views the world as this big zero-sum game. But God is bigger than any zero-sum game. A lot of us have experienced this with kids many of you probably right let's say you praise one of your kids for something they did something well and you praise them for that you ever notice how sometimes the other kids start going well I did this and I did that and what about me right I mean I've heard that that's a problem in your families <laughs> you ought to fix that just because I praise just because I praise one of my kids doesn't mean that I'm not proud of the others and I haven't praised them in the past and I won't praise them again in the future psychologist named Bonnie Fight tells the story of a family of eight brothers and sisters who gathered for their mom's funeral, and they were talking, and one finally said, you know, I always felt a little guilty because I feel like I am, I've always felt like I was mom's favorite, and she always gave me more than the rest of you. But then another one piped up and said, well, I always thought that I was mom's favorite. All eight said that they felt like they were their mother's favorite child. However it is in your family, In God's family, you are his favorite child. And somehow that's true for every one of us. And yes, he gives different people different blessings, but he blesses us all. Because you are his favorite child. And so am I. Except I'm a little more so. (laughs) God is bigger than any zero-sum game. I have a friend who had a lot of conflict with a coworker of his. They were both uh, kind of struggling to, for leadership in the small company that they worked in. And on top of that, they were, they were both single and found themselves competing for some of the same women in their social circles. Well, one day my friend was praying about this, and he, was, he happened to be reading the story of Abraham and Lot in the Bible. And they both, Abraham and Lot both had too much livestock, so they were competing for land. So Abraham said to Lot, you take the land you want, and I'll take whatever you leave behind. Well, Lot took the best land for himself. Abraham ended up with the desert. But then later God says to Abraham, you're going to prosper and your descendants are going to be as numerous as the sand that's in this desert. So even though Abraham seemingly got the raw deal, he got blessed as well. So my friend read that story and he thought, you know what? God can bless both me and this coworker of mine that's bugging me. I just need to find the ways that God is blessing me and lean into those. And I need to pray for my coworker's success and cheer him on all of which my friend did. Well these two guys ended up being lifelong friends. They both eventually found ways to express their leadership. My friend ended up getting more involved in his church and expressing his leadership there, which for him was way more rewarding than if he'd done that at work. They both met and married wonderful women. It seemed like a zero-sum game. Both in this same organization, there has to be a winner, there has to be a loser, but God was bigger than that little organization and could bless each of them in different ways. My friend focused on the ways that God is blessing him. Switched the scorecard so his identity wasn't all wrapped up in his work. And he prayed for and celebrated someone that he thought was was his enemy but turned out to be his friend. So how about you? Where do you feel threatened? Who are you jealous of? Take it to Jesus and find your identity in being loved by him pray for and celebrate others and look for the ways that God is also blessing you I saw a video on Facebook a few weeks ago that I think kind of captures everything I've been talking about it's called the difference between dogs and cats, take a look at it oh it's okay come on, Simon will show you see see Simon go show her again who we'll show her? <laughs> oh, why am I crying? <laughs> That's so funny. I've seen that thing like a hundred times and I still laugh every time I look at it I think that captures what I'm talking about rather nicely we can celebrate each other we can help each other up or we can knock each other down and while I will admit there is something about that cat's attitude that I kind of like The dog is just much more life-affirming, right? Let's lift each other up, not resent each other. The place that we see this the best is in David's greatest descendant, Jesus. Jesus is the opposite of jealousy. He, the one who had and actually deserved everything, rather than hang on to it, gave it up so that we who don't deserve anything could have it all through him. The good news of Jesus is that I don't deserve, but I get anyway. And when you understand that deep in your heart, it drives jealousy away. And we know that we have nothing to feel threatened about because we, somehow all of us, are God's favorite child. And God is in a good mood, and he loves to bless his children. So Jesus, help us to believe that so that we can walk without fear, without feeling threatened. But instead, Lord, we can be life-giving, in our homes, in our offices, our families, our neighborhoods. Lord, because we know that we are somehow your favorite child, and that's true for everyone. Help us to walk in that kind of security, Lord. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.